If I like that name, honestly, it's kind of poopy. <laughs> poopy. Anyway, this is a very special episode of Spooky Stories. I painstakingly gathered 13 of the most terrifying, spooktacular stories from the Spooky Stories episodes so that you, the listener, can have a mega spooky time. (gasps) And not only that, but there will be another special Halloween Spooky Stories episode at the end of the month with brand new Spooky Stories. So what more could you ask for, really? How about some goo corn? Holy sh**! Michael! Don't sneak up on me like that! Sorry, Slagool. I thought you heard me. Pfft! Humans! You're so quiet with your greasy, slippery skin. Why can't you be louder like us ghouls? Uh, I'll try next time to be louder, I guess. Um, I did want to plug one thing before you start the show, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. What is it? Well, I've been having a lot of fun lately making vlogs and other videos on my YouTube channel. My username is MichaelMikeyMike. All one word. If you like this show, you might also like my YouTube, too. Check it out. I'm also a big fan of Nicolas Cage, so there's some videos of him on there, too. The link's in the description. But, Michael, you're supposed to be working on these spooky stories for me, remember? That's why I let you live in my mausoleum. Did you forget about that from episode 14? Well, as a matter of fact, I upload all of these Spooky Stories episodes to my YouTube for people to listen on there if they prefer. So technically, I am still working on Spooky Stories. Oh, okay, good. For the record, I use BooTube, so I wouldn't know anything about YouTube. Anyway, uh, thank you, Michael, and yeah, let's, let's begin the show. So these are my absolute, to-die-for, favorite 13 stories from Spooky Stories. In no particular order. This first story is called... The Old Man and the Tree. What is it? Is this Bob Furman? Who wants to know? It's the city. We're notifying you that we need to cut the tree down. Bob unlocked the deadbolt and opened his front door, revealing two men with orange vests standing on the porch. City workers, huh? I just dealt with you people a few days ago. We've been ordered by the city to cut the tree down this Friday the 13th. Just letting you know, one of the workers said. There was a fire in Bob that was growing. His anger was beginning to take over but he kept it in check. But it's in front of my house. Technically, the tree belongs to the city. The tree's located on the sidewalk in front of your house, which in your case is outside of your plot of land. 
We're just letting you know so you're not alarmed when it's being cut down. But it's such a beautiful redwood tree. It's been there since I was a little boy. The tree is old and diseased and dying and needs to be cut down for the safety of the citizens, as well as your safety. We're sorry. The fire in Bob started up again, his fists clenching tightly. Now you listen to me. I've been dealing with you motherfuckers for years now, and I sure as hell ain't giving up. I don't care what you say about who it belongs to. That tree's been there since I've been alive, and goddammit, it's still got some life in it. Regardless, we need to cut the tree down. We're sorry. Sure you are. The men started to walk away. Wait, wait, don't go. I'm, I'm really sorry to trouble you both, but before you go, could you help me figure out this smell? It smells like gas might be leaking somewhere in my house. The city workers stopped and looked at each other. They muttered some things to each other and then responded. All right, we'll check it out real quick. Thank you so much. Come on in. Watch your step. The two city workers stepped into Bob's house. Sir, you really need to clean this place up. It really stinks in here. How do you even smell the gas over this terrible smell? Oh, you get used to it. So about the tree, you understand why I don't want to cut down, right? We must preserve Mother Nature so that- Listen, old man. We're not talking about the tree right now. We're here to see if you have a gas leak. If you do in fact have a gas leak, we need to know ASAP so that you don't accidentally blow yourself and the whole goddamn neighborhood up. Now where did you smell the gas? Bob grinded his teeth. Right this way, down in the basement. The next day, another on the door. What is it? It's Ted. I work with the city. I just have a couple questions for you. It's very important. Bob opened the door. What is it? Do you recognize these two city workers? They were scheduled to stop by your house yesterday to notify you about that tree there being cut down. But they never returned to work and no one's heard from them since. No, I can't say I recognize them. In fact, no one stopped by. You said yesterday? Yes, your house was one of the stops on their route yesterday. You sure you haven't seen them? Well, why would I lie about something like that? This is ridiculous. Are we done here? Yes, we're done. But please, if you hear anything about the missing workers, please let us know. I'm their supervisor and I'm very concerned for their well-being. Bob's anger quieted down. Yes, I will. I'm sorry. I, I hope they turn up. A couple days passed and it was Friday the 13th, tree cutting day. But Bob was prepared. He was standing firm in front of the tree, arms folded, waiting for the city workers to show up. Bob's anger had been building as the days passed, and he was not going to let this tree be cut down so easily. A truck pulled up with three city workers, one he recognized as Ted, the supervisor from a couple days earlier, and two other larger workers that he didn't recognize. They approached Bob. You're going to have to move. We need to cut this tree down. Over my dead body. Sir, we have this paper from the head of public works giving us permission to cut this tree down. Just then, Bob reached into his pocket and pulled out a pocket knife. Before anyone had a chance to react, Bob swiped his knife at Ted and just barely missed. Instead, Bob cut the paper Ted was holding. The two other men tackled Bob to the ground and quickly subdued him. That's it! I've had it! You've caused us enough trouble, Bob. There is nothing you can do now to protect this tree, you hear me? 
Bob struggled to get himself loose, but it was no use. You know what I think? I think you have something to do with my missing employees. Just in the past week, we've had six men missing. Six men! Now I'll tell you what we're gonna do. We're going to cut this damn tree down, and we're going to make you watch! And then after that, we're taking you right to the police station for questioning! Bob screamed in agony. Ah! He'd worked so hard to protect the tree for all these years, and now he'd finally failed and the tree would be cut down. One of the workers grabbed a chainsaw and began to tear into the tree's bark. Bob couldn't bear to watch, his screams audible over the roaring of the chainsaw. Suddenly, the worker who was cutting the tree stopped and yelled, Boss, there's, there's something red leaking from the tree. I don't think it's sap, it, it looks like blood. Just then, something changed in Bob. His agonized cry began to morph into a sinister sounding laugh. <laughs> Cut it down, yes, please. Cut it down. See what's inside. Do it, 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 do it. <laughs> Reluctantly, Ted gave a signal for the worker to continue cutting into the tree. With its massive weight, the tree began to teeter heavily to the left, and the side of the tree began to crack open. And as it did, more red liquid began to spew out of the tree. As the tree tilted and fell over, Blood and body parts erupted from the inside of the tree. Intestines, arms, legs, all kinds of body parts splattered across the pavement and grass. What did you do? What did you do? Screamed Ted. They all tried to cut my tree down. So I showed them. I cut them down into little pieces and fed them to the tree. <laughs> we got a new cat about a month ago. Picked him up from the local shelter, and we named him Pinball, because he was just bouncing off the walls when we went to see him. He really is an unusual cat, who seems to act more like a dog, because he's always following us around and meowing like crazy. Initially, we kept him indoors only, but he was causing a lot of trouble, always jumping on the counters and trying to steal food. So we decided to let him go outside, to see if that would mellow him out. It's odd, ever since we installed his cat door, we've hardly seen him anymore. We know he still comes and goes, because we hear him meowing as he makes his way from the door down to the basement where his room's set up. Also, he still uses his litter box. Speaking of that, we found some irregular droppings in there since he started going out. Must be the bones from some critter he's eating out there. Anyways, we've been so curious about what he's been up to, so my wife is setting up security cameras right now, so we can see what he's doing. I'm upstairs at the computer, so I can log in and see the live footage. One camera is set up outside his cat door, one in the hallway, and two in his basement room. It's dark now, but I'm able to make out what's going on outside by activating the night vision mode. Hmm. Nothing much happening. I don't really see anything. Hmm. Looks like there's a moth flying by. Oh wait! This pinball! Here he comes! 
Oh look, he has something big in his mouth. Is that a rat? Holy crap! He's trying to get in the door, but the rat is getting stuck. Oh, pinball, don't bring that inside. He tried again and managed to squeeze through. As he made his way down the hall, I switched the camera too. In the hallway light, the HD camera quality was really good. I did a double take and couldn't believe what I saw. That's not a rat. Four fingers and one thumb, freshly painted orange nails, and a splintered scaphoid wrist bone protruded from the hand. Pimble has a severed hand in his mouth. The white patch of his tuxedo coat had a splatter of dark blood soaked on it. Pimble turned the corner and started heading down to the basement. I changed to channel three. My wife is still down there. She's scooping the litter box, and I start to panic. Is our cat a deranged killer? My god, those bones we found in the litter box, those weren't critters. Those were human bones. I run to the stairs. I need to warn my wife before Pinball does something crazy. I race into the basement and I run to her. Pinball is sitting across the room and he is licking the hand. Cat's tongues are covered with papilla, thousands of tiny spikes to help clean their fur or clean the skin off their kill. I look close at the hand and just see raw flesh, bones, and tendons. Pinball, drop it! Bad kitty. He looks up with his big green eyes and slowly starts walking towards us. I turn to run and hide in the closet. I open the door and out of nowhere, a pile of corpses tumble out and crash down on me. I'm knocked to the floor and I see Pinball run up the stairs. I look around and see the empty dead stairs of our neighbors. I recognize Miss Parker from down the street. Her left hand with bright orange nails and her right hand was amputated. Oh my god, how did Pinball do this? My wife and I were in a traumatic daze when suddenly the sound caught my attention. It sounded like multiple sirens, getting louder and louder. And then I heard the sound from a police loudspeaker. We have your house surrounded and a warrant to search from an anonymous tip. Come out with your hands up. I then look up at the top of the stairs and see the glint of Pinball's eyes again. He gives us a wink, then turns and walks away. This story is called Hello Caller. And we're back. It's a great day to be doing this show today at WKEJ with a brisk night sky of 57 degrees. It's easy to get lost out there in the stars above contemplating the rough realities, but I'm here to help you calm your nerves. Otherwise, it wouldn't be Dr. Nigel Williams, your friendly neighborhood open ear. Hello, caller. You're on the air. Uh, hello. Long time caller, first time listener. Hmm. How, how does that work? Oh, sorry. I, I meant, yeah, y you know what I meant. It's okay. Nerves are like whiskers. You gotta grow a few and learn to live with them if you want to be a cool cat. Uh, excuse me? It's a simple question. I was hoping to get a simple answer. Yeah, your meaning is lost on me, sir. I, I'm unsure what you mean. It's hilarious to me that my producer, Daryl, keeps trying to tell me that this kind of thing will never happen again. And 
and yet here we are. Answer the question. Well, it, it's, it's, it's hard to answer a question I have no answer to. Do you need to be reminded? I, sure, sure. Why don't you go ahead and remind me of what, what wrong I've done? Do you remember a little girl on her bike about 15 years ago? Uh, um, uh. It's easy to let memories fade. Uh, well, listeners will know that uh, a few years back, I had an alcohol problem, and, uh... That's no excuse. Well, no, 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 let me finish. Uh, it, it was a night that kicked my ass back on that wagon, and I've been on it ever since. Uh, I drank a little too much, and my car got away from me. She, she was riding her bike, it was dark, and I clipped her. You killed someone that night. Call her. Listeners, God, whoever's listening, I did not kill anyone that day. I, I, uh, hitting her back kicked my sobriety into full gear, and I hopped out to help her up immediately. She fell down uh, on the side of the road in a little little ditch and and uh, and scraped her knee pretty bad. But but she told me that she lived a few blocks away, so I lifted her up and, and took her home. I've I've been sending her birthday presents ever since. Actions have consequences. Uh, what what do you mean? You're blaming me for your death? Blame is a feeble word. I'm just trying to rectify a mistake. How do you you plan on rectifying it? Eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. You know what? This is nonsense. Daryl, please get this clown off the air. I don't know who you are or who told you about this incident, but this is no longer something I can continue to play along with. I'm being told by my producer that we have an, uh, having some technical issues. Do you not believe me, or do you choose not to? I've never been one to believe ghost stories. How about now? What the? Okay, well, it seems the power has gone out in the studio, and if by some chance the microphones are still hot and you're able to hear this, then we will return shortly. Daryl, let's get this power back on. Daryl? That'll do it for WKEJ for tonight. Enjoy the continued brisk night sky of 57 degrees. Good night. This next story's called... Mold Monster. (laughs) There was once a man who lived in a small in-law unit in the back of someone's house. It was in a quiet area where people mostly kept to themselves, and he was a pretty normal guy, had a normal job, sometimes went out with friends. Everything about this guy and place was normal, 
but there was one of his habits that set him apart. This man was a slob, and when I say slob, I don't mean your typical leave a few clothes on the floor or a dirty dish here and there kind of slob. When I say slob, I mean he was disgusting. In particular, he never threw away any food. He would leave it everywhere. On his dining table, on his counter, on his desk, on his bedstand, on his keyboard, sometimes on the floor or in his bed. And when there was no room there, he would even sometimes hide it in his closet. Every now and then, he did go through his room to try and clean up all the moldy food he'd left behind. But it wasn't often. Or should I say, not often enough. You see, on one faithful occasion, he was eating a bag of lime-hot fluff chips on his bed, lazily whisking the chips into his mouth. Of course, eventually a couple of chips fell out of the bag and onto his bed. Annoyed, but too lazy to pick them up and either throw them away or eat them. He thought it would be fine to just flick the chips off his bed, letting them land whatever they did in his disgusting room. Unaware of the chain of events he was about to put into motion, the man reached down and with one flick, the chip was launched from his bed across the room, a mist of hot lime dust in its wake. Its trajectory brought it arcing to collide with his desk, skipping off of some gum wrappers and then falling between the desk and the corner wall to the deepest and darkest corner of the room, where the slob surely would never look or clean. And there it sat for a long, long time. Years passed, and the man kept being himself with his slob antics. He went on thinking he was getting away with doing the bare minimum. Little did he know there was something that he was missing, and in that very room, in a dark, humid, rancid corner, something monumental was happening. And that thing was growing, and it was feeding. He did notice at one point something was strange. For one, this fuzzy stuff started to show up on the wall behind his desk. It wasn't anything horrible looking. It was just kind of gray with a tint of orange. It would flake off from time to time, and every now and then, when he wasn't being a slob, he would wipe it away, but the stuff would come back almost immediately. There was also a smell in his room that he couldn't quite figure out. It didn't smell rotten or bad, just kind of citrusy. He went on ignoring it, but the fuzzy stuff got even worse. It had nearly taken up the entire wall behind his desk and was inching its way to the ceiling. And now when he wiped it away, it seemed like it would grow back right behind the cloth he was wiping it with. It also looked like it was starting to grow on the carpet, but on the floor, it almost looked like it had tiny fungus mold fingers. What was gross was when he would get down to inspect the stuff. The little fingers seemed to move like they were retracting back into the carpet. At this point, he was overwhelmed. He didn't know what to do, so he planned on calling a specialist. Unfortunately for him, before he could make the call, the fungus mold reached its final form. It happened on a Halloween night, just before he went to sleep. He had just finished a village host pizza with extra pepperoni and slid the leftovers behind his bed frame. He laid in bed, checking his phone for local mold specialists. He found a few and made a note to call them the next day. But before he could turn his phone off, he felt something move, 
just under his foot. Huh? What was that? He said, startled by it. He moved his feet around under the bedsheets to see if he could feel anything there, like a sock or pepperoni slice, but couldn't feel anything. He figured it was nothing and began to fall asleep again until something else came. It was another brush, just against the inside of his foot. Huh? He hated to acknowledge it. You know when you feel like something's moving under your sheets? But he knew he felt something. Something that was moving on its own. And he was just hoping whatever it was, it was something small. Slowly, he tried to pull his feet up toward his body away from whatever it was. The lights were off, but he had his phone, so he turned it toward the foot of his bed, dimly illuminating part of his room. But as he was pulling his foot up, the brush came again, as if it was following his foot. He stopped, and now couldn't believe what he was feeling. It wasn't something small, something like a bug. It was large. It was putting pressure on his foot, like a hand or something. He tried to quickly pull his foot up, but then... Whatever it was, it wrapped itself around his leg. Ah, he cried out. He ripped off his blanket and couldn't believe his eyes. From behind his desk, from the disgusting wall of fungus mold, extended a disgusting fungus mold tentacle. As if knowing it had been seen, it wrapped itself even tighter around his leg and began violently pulling at it, as if to try to rip him out of his bed. But he had his wits about him. Earlier that day, he had teriyaki tofu shish kebabs. The half-eaten skewers were still on his bedstand. He grabbed one, and with all his might, plunged it into the fungus tentacle. It let out a shrieking hiss. The tentacle wrapped around his leg released itself. But then, one more came from the fungus wall, this one smaller and easier to fend off. He poked and prodded at it, until it too hissed, and then they both recoiled behind his desk. He sat there, unsure of what to do next. He wanted to just leave, but he knew that thing would be waiting for him either way. He got out of bed and slowly walked toward his desk with the shish kebab held out in front of him. He decided he needed to confront the beast. He reached down and grabbed the edge of the desk, and with all his might, he peeled the desk from the wall. He couldn't believe what he found behind it. It looked like it mostly lived in the walls, a goopy octopus-like thing. It was wounded, with orange ooze dripping from its tentacles. He extended the shish kebab out in front of him and bent down to prod it a little. But then a voice came. Stop. The voice was deep and wise. It seemed to be coming from everywhere in the room, all the corners. It seemed to be in the air itself. He paused. Who said that? He said. I did. The voice replied. In disbelief, the man turned his head to the disgusting tentacle creature wounded at his feet. You said that? He said. Yes, I can do many things. I can talk. I can reason. He couldn't believe what he was hearing. That this disgusting thing, this fungus mold, was talking to him. What are you? How did you even get here? You... You brought me here. 
I brought you here? Long ago, I was something much smaller. Something that came in a package with many things like me. For whatever reason, I was flung away from the package and landed here in this dark corner. It was here that I was able to sit and meditate long enough. I evolved, and now I have gained consciousness beyond anything you could dream. And I come in peace. Peace? You were trying to kill me. No. No, I wasn't trying to kill you. I was merely trying to communicate. The man started to believe the mold creature. What he didn't realize was one of its long, skinny tentacles had slithered its way across the room under his bed to a plate with a half-finished T-bone steak. It grabbed the steak knife off the plate and quietly slithered up behind the man. The man could have been done for. He was listening to the creature intently. But suddenly, his phone lying on the bed lit up and a shadow was thrown on the moldy wall in front of him. It was a raised knife-wielding tentacle. Oh. He turned around. It swung at him, but he swung back. Ah. It sliced here and there, and he sliced here and there in return. Luckily, he was quite the swordsman, and he was able to fight his way to the door. He got out and slammed the door behind him. He slept out in his car that night, half awake, worried the monster might come get him. When the morning came, he decided he needed to go check in his room, wondering if it was even real or if it was some kind of weird dream. But when he did, there was no creature to be found. What he did find, though, was a hole in the corner of the room the tentacles were coming out of. It looked like it went right through the wall to the outside world. He moved out of the in-law unit not too long after. But to this day, always wonders about the mold monster. The Accidents <laughs> It was an unusually warm night in fall as I was driving home in the city after a long day of work. The route I usually drove home was blocked off due to an accident, so my only other choice going home was an alternate route through a bad neighborhood. I was not thrilled to have to drive this more dangerous route, so I turned up my music and tried to distract myself. I started thinking of my plans for when I got home. Have some dinner, relax, maybe watch a movie. As I was driving along, I noticed something in the road not too far in front of me. I turned down the music. As I drove closer, I could start to make out what was in the road. It was a person. I hit the brakes and I halted to a stop as the person in the road squinted at me through the brightness of my headlights, about 25 feet in front of my car. It was a boy, maybe in his early teens. He began to slowly crawl towards my car, his feet lifelessly dragging behind him. I heard him moaning. I was frozen with fear. I felt like I had stumbled into a nightmare. I looked around, but no one was around. I wanted to help the boy, but my mind started to race with possibilities. I was in a very bad neighborhood. What if the boy wasn't really hurt and was trying to get me out of my car so that someone else could mug me or steal my car? Or if the boy really was hurt, what if the person who hurt this child was still nearby and was ready to attack anyone who stopped to help? 
My mind continued to race as the boy slowly continued to crawl towards my car, calling out again. I looked around again, and still no one was around. Just then, a familiar thought popped into my head. What if I just drove away and never looked back? No one was around, so I might be able to get away with it. However, my thoughts were interrupted by an even more desperate sounding. The boy continued to crawl closer and closer to me. I knew I had to do something. With slight apprehension, I turned off the engine, took a deep breath, and got out of the car to help the boy. However, just as I began to approach the boy, he quickly crawled towards the sidewalk and out of sight between a couple of parked cars. I pursued after him, but when I got to where he crawled, there was no sign of the boy. I called out for him and checked all around and underneath the parked cars, but still I didn't see the boy. I'm just trying to help. I'm not trying to hurt you. I yelled out as my lonesome voice echoed out into the empty streets. I looked around a little more, but still no sign of the boy. I started to walk back to the car when something caught my eye that was on the pole of the street lamp. There was a wreath of flowers with a picture of a boy in the center. It was hard to tell, but... The picture looked a lot like the boy I had just seen in the road. Under the picture, it said, Anthony Garcia, January 8th, 2005 to December 13th, 2018. I felt my stomach get queasy. Today's date was December 13th, 2019. Suddenly, my consciousness became flooded with memories from a year ago to this day. I was driving home from work on the very same road I was driving tonight. I was running late for an appointment and was maybe going a little faster than I should have. As I was speeding along, I was taking bites out of my sandwich I'd saved for dinner. As I took a big bite, a pickle wedge jumped out of the sandwich and onto the floor near the gas pedal. Just as I reached down to grab it, I took my eyes off the road and a sudden loud thud jolted the car. I slammed on the brakes and looked into the rearview mirror. There was a mound of something lying in the road behind me. I looked around, but saw no one. I told myself it was nothing, probably just a bag of garbage or a raccoon or something. So I raced home, knuckles white from holding onto the steering wheel too tightly. When I got home, I got out and checked the front of my vehicle. There was a small dent with a little red smudge in the center of the dent. Okay, so I hid an animal. Big deal. It happens all the time. The poor creatures don't know any better. I wiped off the smudge of blood on the front of my car and threw out the rag, but I continued to shake. So I stopped, took a deep breath, and told myself, it was just an animal. There's nothing to worry about. It's best to just forget this ever happened. So I did my best to forget about that night, and it seemed to work. Until now, that is. My flashback from a year ago had ended, and I was returned to the present terrifying moment. Trembling, I ran back to my car, still double parked in the street. I got in and closed my eyes. This is all just a weird coincidence. I never hit a boy that night, and I didn't just see a boy in the street. It's just my mind playing tricks on me. I just need to get home, relax, and take it easy. However, when I opened my eyes, I saw someone in my peripheral vision sitting in the passenger seat next to me. It was a boy. The same boy that was in the road calling out for help. The same boy that was in the picture on the memorial lamppost. The same boy I must have run over a year ago. I stared in disbelief as his sad eyes began to sink back into his head, creating a pair of empty black holes. 
His skin began to dry up and rot right before my eyes. I frantically reached for the car door handle, pulled the handle, and sprung back out of the car into the next lane over and... Breaking business headline today is that the new food tech startup, Intellimeet, raised a new round of funding and they're looking to rapidly hire a massive workforce. The Dow is up 10 points and the NASDAQ is down 7. We'll return after a quick message from our new sponsor, Intellimeet. Mmm! This meat is so good! I know, and it's not made from animals. How did they do it? Mmm! Oh my god, it's so juicy! Pass me some of that meat. Intellimeet, your guilt-free source of delicious steaks, patties, and sausages. No animals ever heard in its making. Intellimeet. Intellimeet. Hello, welcome to Intellimeet. Thank you for taking the time to come interview today. Uh, thanks. So yes, let's get right to it. I've reviewed your impressive resume. It says here you are a quality control supervisor of the guacamole production line at Superfoods Inc. I never worked there. Okay, so how about your time at this Robo now? Why were you there for only three months? I was terminated after they found me. Passed out in the bathroom with the crack pipe. Stuck up my ass! Oh, okay. Um, I think that is all I need to hear for today, then. You've got the job. Let me take you on a tour of the plant. Here we are on the processing floor! What? The processing floor! Why is it so cold in here? The room temperature is precisely maintained at 3 degrees Celsius to keep the meat fresh. What's that doodad up there? That's the sizing shaker. The larger pieces are removed to be cut into steaks, while the smaller limbs are ground up for sausages. I thought you make fake meat here. No, 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 no. It's not fake, but of course, no animals are harmed in the process. Let me show you the storage room. Why is it all dark in here? Lights out manufacturing to reduce electricity costs. The machines can work in total darkness. It's just the feeble humans that need light to see. What are we walking in? Is this blood? Wow, them robots sure are something. Sure is amazing what mankind thinks up. Mankind knows nothing. Mankind knows not how to build, only to destroy. It wasn't until I tethered my brain into the AI neural network that I gained the capacity to build such a solution. To rid the world of this destructive force and to end the suffering of all animals. Say, mister, 
What is my job here, anyways? Oh, hey, what in the hell? Ah, oh, no, not my arm! Oh, you crazy motherfucker! Hey, what in the hell is wrong with you? Oh, oh no, 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 not my neck! Oh, no! They'll eat each other. One sausage at a time. This next story is called Devil's Slide. <laughs> well, here it is. The last place on my list left to visit. A park I used to go to when I was a kid. I'm not really a superstitious person, but part of me worries that once I finish my list, well, that that might be the end. I guess that's why I'm so hesitant to get out of this car. Part of me would rather continue sitting here, clenching the steering wheel, but I know I have to do this and face my fears. Once I got the news that I only had a few more weeks left to live, I realized there were some places I wanted to revisit from my childhood. There was something in particular about this park that always stuck with me, even into adulthood. I've had this vague memory of something that happened at this park when I was a child, and I fear it might have been something bad, but I don't know for sure. There's got to be some kind of significance to this place. Maybe visiting again will help jog my memory. As I walked towards the park, my hands began to fidget, despite the area being completely calm. I noticed a plaque on a rock. It read, this park stands in memory to those we've lost. There was a name below, Nathan Seeger. Hmm, something about that name seems familiar. It looks like they've renovated the park since the last time I was here, years ago. But it's hard to remember. What's that sound? Is that in my head? Hmm. Nothing's jogging my memory. Maybe my memory is deceiving me. Maybe I should just go. That glare on the slide is blinding me. I want to look away, yet something feels like it's pulling me towards it. Maybe this has something to do with the slide. I better go investigate. Where is he? What did you do with my son? I didn't do anything. We were just racing down the slide, and he disappeared. It's all coming back to me. When I was a little boy, I was playing with this kid I met at the park. Everything was fine until we went down the slide. Now listen, son, I want you to think real hard now. Are you sure you didn't see anyone take your friend? No, officer. We were racing down the slide, and then... And then, he was gone. 
I climbed the stairs and approached the slide. It was all coming back to me. I sat down at the top of the slide. I felt a cold hand push into my back, pushing me down the slide. It all happened so fast and yet, the descent down seemed to take ages. Halfway down, I noticed a change to the world around me. The air was warm and thick. The sounds were dense and slightly muffled. I reached the end of the slide and landed on the ground. Something broke my fall, a toy car. A rush of pain surged through my entire backside. My eyes felt heavy. Maybe I'll close them just for a little while. I woke up confused, and then I remembered what happened. I got to my feet and leaned against the rock that I'd seen earlier with the plaque on it. Didn't this plaque just have one name before? Nathan something. Now there's two names, but both names are faded and illegible. Why does this place feel off? Ugh, my head hurts. I must have banged it on the way down the slide. Reaching back, I feel the warmth and sting from a wound at the base of my head. It hurts like hell. I heard a noise and saw a man standing in the distance. Another one? Hello. I think I might need a doctor. I'm not who you think I am. What? Hello? I look towards the sound and see the toy car that broke my fall at the base of the slide. I turn back around, and the man is gone. Where did he go? I walk over and pick up the blue broken toy car. My car. It's you. Nathan, right? Do you remember me? We were playing on the slide when we were kids, and you, you disappeared. How did you not age? Do you remember me? What's wrong? Are you okay? Is this your car? Here you go. You're still sad. What's wrong? I'm lost and scared. Do you know what's happening here? Where we are? No. There's other people around, but... I don't know them. I looked around, trying to think of what to do. I looked towards the slide and noticed a faint glowing light at the bottom of the slide. I wonder if that's the way to get out of here. It's worth a shot. Hey, uh, I have an idea. I think it'll cheer you up. Follow me. We walked to the top of the slide and I motioned for him to sit down. I got ready to go right behind him. All right, we're gonna go down the slide, you ready? Three, two, one. Wait, I'm not who you think I am. Um, I'm sorry? Nathan started to laugh, but it wasn't a happy laugh. Something was off. His head began to turn slowly towards me. Just when it seemed like it would stop, it continued to turn towards me. 
a whole 180 degrees as his body remained facing forward. Nathan's eyes rolled up into his head, displaying only the whites of his eyes. He was still holding the same car, but the color of the car was now red instead of blue. I reached for Nathan, but before I could stop him, he slid himself down the slide and into the light at the bottom of the slide, vanishing completely. The light's gone now. It looks like I'm stuck here, whatever this place is. What have I done? Amy jumped out of her seat as the brown spider crawled over the pages of her chemistry textbook. She ran to the hallway closet, grabbed the insecticide, and raced back to the living room to exterminate the spider. Wait, don't spray that in the apartment. It's got toxic chemicals, said Amy's roommate, Rebecca. Go brush your teeth, Becca. I could smell your breath from here. Becca walked back to her room. Amy shook the spider off the book. It landed on the floor and quickly crawled for shelter. Uh uh uh, not so fast. Amy sprayed the spider, soaking it with the insecticide. It began to twitch on the ground. Amy went to the kitchen, grabbed a handful of paper towels, and returned to the living room to clean up the mess. But to her dismay, the spider was gone. Shoot. Well, it probably just crawled into a dark corner to die or something. When Amy was gone getting the paper towels, the spider, in a last desperate attempt to survive, scrambled to the closest dark, safe place it could find. That safe place happened to be a nearby essential oil diffuser. Plop! Went the spider into the pool of lavender oil. Amy returned to her textbook and got back to studying for her exam tomorrow. <sighs> this is so boring. I think I'll just copy from Jenny again. Time for bed. Amy got ready for bed. She skipped brushing her teeth because she was too lazy. Then she went and grabbed the essential oil diffuser that she uses every night to help her sleep turned on the diffuser, tucked herself into bed, and fell fast asleep. Meanwhile, the essential oil diffuser with the chemical-soaked spider began to bubble, bubble, bubble. As the night continued, the chemicals continued to mix, and the diffuser made more bubbling noises as the lavender and spider chemical concoction spewed from the diffuser into the air that Amy was breathing. Amy woke up in the middle of the night. Through all the sounds of bubbles, she could have sworn she heard the diffuser speak. Breathe deep. Breathe deep. Breathe deep. 
She was worried for a moment, but then realized her mind was probably playing tricks on her and fell back asleep. The fumes from the diffuser made their way to Amy's nostrils as she sucked in the chemicals up, up, up into her brain where changes began to take place. The next morning, Amy woke up with the worst migraine she'd ever had. She thought to herself, why does my head hurt so much? She reached up to touch her head, but instead of feeling her hand on her head, there was a big hairy leg touching her head. She opened her eyes and saw a giant spider leg touching her head. Then she looked down at her body and saw that she turned into a big brown spider. She began twitching and convulsing in her bed, trying to cry and scream, but no sounds came out. She couldn't take it anymore. She felt like she was suffocating, so she shot out of bed and stumbled down the apartment hallway. It felt like her vision was changing. It became blurry. She realized suddenly that she was not seen with two eyes, but with eight. She didn't know where she was going, but she knew she needed to get out of there. She needed to go to someplace dark, someplace safe. She exited the apartment. The sun blinded her, and she felt a great warmth wash over her. So hot! She scrambled her way to the center of the apartment complex, towards the swimming pool. She got to the pool, crawled under the pool cover, and dove in. The ice-cold water felt great for a brief moment, until she realized she was sinking and couldn't swim. No matter how hard she tried, she couldn't swim and stay afloat. She continued to sink, down, 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 towards the bottom of the pool, until everything went black. A couple days later, the residents of the complex started to notice a terrible stench in the air. The maintenance workers searched high and low, but couldn't find the source of the smell. Finally, he noticed the smell got worse towards the swimming pool. So he pulled back the pool cover and found Amy's floating, rotting corpse. This one's called Season Finale. <laughs> Jenny props her feet up on the coffee table and sinks deep into the couch. The television roars with nonsense spewed from commercials. Jenny isn't watching it. Instead, she's transfixed on her phone. Next up is the season finale of Signs of the Times, the show that New Yorkers call hip, extremely funny, and one of the decade's best. Jenny didn't watch the show, but she knew that those at work loved it. They'd annoy her if she didn't watch the season finale. In fact, she'd probably be one of the only people in the country that wasn't watching. Honey, I'm home. 
Oh, that's such a cliche thing to say. Cliche? I thought it was pronounced cliche. You would, dear. Where's Tommy? If he's hanging out with those punk kids again, I might have to take away his video games. No, not the video games. Why are you hiding under the table like that, sweetie? I wasn't hidden. I was protecting myself from the sun. I'm confused. I thought that's why you've got a roof over your head. No, kids always play floor is lava, but I want to start playing ceiling is sun. But, you know, like burning hot sun that could melt your face off. Um, dark much? The family gathers around the dining table as Honey serves their last dish. This smells great, Honey. Smells incredible. Oh, it's just the same thing we had last week. No biggie. Jenny never liked the actress on this show. She always seemed so robotic and fake. Luckily, she's still effectively tuning the show out with her head buried in her phone. How was your day, honey? Oh, you know, it's work. Tell us everything that happened. Well, it started normally. We finally got some new parts to fix that filing cabinet that was broken. I told you about that the other day, though. Um, um, anything else? Oh, are we going to do that now? Yes. If possible, the actor's demeanor became even more wooden. The man collects himself, breathes in a deep sigh. Breaking the fourth wall, his gaze adjusts toward the camera. While many have come to the last episode of the season to see a cliffhanger, a will-they-won't-they they scenario, we are instead offering a final... a final to end all finals. This human cesspool we call Earth needs to be updated. Jenny only just realized what she was hearing. She notices the main character is staring deep into her soul. Chills shoot down her spine. We, as a race, unlike humans, need to feed upon your flesh, and we cannot wait a second longer. Without warning, the feed switches over to a commercial. Hi, this is Rick. Rick, Rick Moneybags. I'm here with wheels, 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 where you can buy top dollar wheels and tires for deals that will cause the earth to explode into a billion pieces. Wait, did I say billion? I meant to say trillion. The commercial abruptly ends and Jenny is greeted with a man staring at her again. We're back. Okay, good. Because if you go to commercial one more time, I will have to end you over there in that booth. Well, sooner than everyone else, that is. Jenny realizes that she needs to shut off the television, so she makes an effort to grab the remote. 
but when her hand slumps to the couch, she realizes she's paralyzed. She goes to scream, but she realizes her mouth is immovable. Glued shut, only squeaks of air make it past her clenched teeth. Sorry for the interruption, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> we are here to present you with the option of going quietly. Well, we're not presenting you with the option. We're choosing it for you. For years, our team has found a way to communicate with far-off lands. A huge leap for science, our communication has blossomed into an understanding. In about a day, this world of yours will be covered in fire and blood. To those watching this program, which by our count is around 12 million, we are allowing you to take a moment to relax and end your existence in a much less painful manner. While our broadcast has been able to seduce your minds into suppression, we still need to commit our blessing. The woman on the TV show then approaches the man. My lovely co-star will join us. The lady then hands the man a knife. Thank you. The man shows the knife to the camera, as if selling it on an infomercial. My co-star has just handed me a ceremonial dagger that I will now plunge into her heart. The actress smiles at the camera and then steps a few paces away from the man. She then turns to the man and he throws the knife at her. It finds its place right in her chest. The audience is terrified. Oozing from the woman's chest is a liquid that's an unnatural purple hue. A crew member from off screen enters the frame and tries to stop the madness. The man on stage looks at him and the crew member just stops. He drops to his knees, a strange sound starts to emit from him, and suddenly, the crewman explodes. And for the rest of the crew and audience here... Good. Now that the majority of our crew and cast have been, for lack of a better term, obliterated, it is time now for you, the home audience, to explore the inner depths of your mind and purge your soul from within. While this certainly only covers 12 million watching this right now, fear not, as many other shows have been sharing this triumphant news across multiple channels, countries, and live streams. Baked into this curse is a side effect to anyone who sees your mangled corpses. So, when the paramedics come rushing to the house to save the fallen victims, they will gaze upon the puddle of flesh and find that their limbs no longer work, and as they convulse and try to break free from paralysis, they will feel their innards being clawed out. And for those remaining few people out there left unscathed, they'll just be exposed to the fire and the chaos that comes toward the end of it all. It's a real lose-lose for you all. The man reaches into his pocket, but looks surprised to find something in there. Oh, I almost forgot. He pulls out a small device from his pocket that looks to be made of glass of wire, rudimentary to modern devices. When we started this project, the hard part was not just getting 12 million viewers to watch a single live event on something that wasn't a streaming service, 
but it was also tough to keep this all a secret until we were ready. In the event that we needed more time and needed to reset this whole thing, a push up a button here would cause a glitch in time. The world would revert right up to the point I started going off script, and no one would be the wiser. It's a neat effect when it activates, but it's a shame we'll never get to use it. The man crushes the device in his hand. The glass shatters. There is no use for it now. We've gone too far. There's no hero to save the day. The only heroes here are the saviors that are coming to destroy this world. You at home sitting there stuck in your chair, you think if you can just get out of that chair, you'd break free and save the world. I'm sorry to say, it's not going to happen. The second you started watching this show was the beginning of your end. The man looks at his watch. Oh gosh. Look at the time. It is now time for your host to say good night. So, good night. He snaps his fingers and the man pops like a water balloon filled with vicious crimson liquid. The camera holds on an empty set for a few minutes until it turns into static. All the while, Jenny still sits on the couch. That is, what remains of her. This story is called Slug Love. <laughs> Amanda was walking home from her studies at the uni when she noticed something peculiar on the sidewalk outside her apartment. It was a slug. A big, fat, juicy green slug. Amanda crouched down to get a better look. There was something about the slug that attracted Amanda. As she admired the creature slowly making its way across the pavement, she realized that she must have it. So she took out her empty sandwich container and placed the slimy slug inside. The moment she got into her apartment, she went straight to the kitchen table and took out her new pet. She had a rather difficult decision to make. What should she call the slug? Mm. She thought for a moment, and then it hit her. She would call it Andrew. Kind of a strange name for a slug, if you ask me, but I digress. Amanda became enamored with her new pet slug, she spent hours observing it, petting it, talking to it, and telling it her deepest, darkest secrets. She even let it crawl on her while she was binge-watching some shows on the telly. The next day, she decided to introduce Andrew to her friends at school. But to her dismay, they were repulsed. 
They thought it was so weird for Amanda to have a slug as a pet and became concerned for her well-being as she had not cleaned up some of the slime trails that Andrew left all over her. Amanda's feelings were hurt, so she left school and went straight home. She decided she didn't need her friends anymore. All she needed was her new true friend, her slug Andrew. Nighttime came around, and Amanda got ready for bed. She didn't want to be away from Andrew, so she put him inside his sandwich container and set him beside her in bed. Amanda bent down to kiss Andrew goodnight, but when she kissed the slug... Uh-oh. Amanda accidentally slurped up the slug. She immediately was set into a panic and tried her best to cough up the slug, but it was no use. She'd swallowed the slug whole. Amanda went to bed, sobbing uncontrollably, until she eventually drifted off to sleep. When Amanda woke up in the morning, she was feeling very tired and sluggish. She tried to stand up on her feet, but her energy was nearly completely drained. So she fell to the floor. She had only enough energy to crawl. It actually felt quite comfortable to crawl, quite natural, even though it took her a long time just to move a short distance. She looked back and saw that she was leaving slime trails behind her. Amanda smiled. She could get used to this. She was feeling rather hungry, so she crawled over to the houseplant and began to eat. Eventually, there was nothing left to eat off the plant, so she had no choice but to leave the apartment to find more food. It took her a couple of hours, but she managed to exit to the outside world. She crawled on the sidewalk towards the nearest bush when someone spotted her. Ew, honey, look, a slug. Squish it. The next story is called The Rocks. While back, I used to go on a lot of solo camping trips up north. Most of the trips I took were either to national parks or resorts, and I'd usually try to go places where I wouldn't run into too many people. I had a lot of fun doing it until I took this one trip I'll never forget. It was around November and I had decided to drive up the west coast to camp along the ocean. The landscape is pretty neat up there and if you drive far enough north you could get to some pretty desolate areas. So I took off work in the middle of the week and headed out early in the morning. For most of the trip things were going as planned. It was nearly winter, so it was cold and there was a lot of overcast, but there wasn't any rain expected. I drove for a while, every now and then stopping to take pictures or just rest a bit. Earlier on, the road was a bit busy, but toward the end of the day, I began getting so far north and away from any major town that there wasn't many people around, which was really what I wanted from the trip. 
I had probably driven for nearly five hours before I decided I should start looking for places to camp. I had seen a few places here and there, but nothing I was really interested in. I usually got pretty picky when it came to my camping spots, and it didn't help that the ocean side was mostly rocky at this point. But eventually I found this road that cut off from the main highway and went down toward the ocean. I wasn't sure if it would lead anywhere, but I decided to take it, and it actually led to some pretty decent beaches next to some cliffs. It wasn't anything great, but at this point, it was too late for me to keep looking, and the wind seemed to ease up in this area, so I decided to stay there for the night. I set up my tent and got some things ready to cook. I had some time before sunset, so... I figured I'd walk down the beach a little toward the cliffs to see if there was anything interesting. I walked for a bit, and eventually I went up and over this hill that let me see down to the base of the cliffs. At first it didn't look like there was much to see, but eventually I noticed what looked like a group of people standing on a small beach at the cliff's base. The figures were dark and hard to make out, but they seemed to just be standing there either looking out at the ocean or something along the beach. I hadn't seen any cars or people for miles, so this was a surprise to me. I decided to walk down to see who they were or what they were looking at. As I got closer, I began to realize that they weren't people. They were these rocks or sculptures. There had to be a dozen of them, all standing about five meters away from each other. I finally got down to them, and up close they didn't seem to resemble people at all. They were just kind of these cylindric rocks sticking out of the beach, some of them taller than me. They were different than the rocks and cliffs around them, kind of this dark gray, almost metallic color. Some of them leaned a bit to one side, but most of them stood up straight. I remember walking between them felt strange. I mean. They were just rocks, but there was something different about them. Maybe it was just their shape, but at times, I felt like I wasn't alone. Like the feeling you get when you're in a group of people that you don't know. Whenever I would focus on one, it felt like the others behind me were watching what I was doing. At one point, I reached out to touch one to try and see what they were made of. It definitely felt like stone and didn't have any sand on it. I wanted to see how they stayed up, so I tried to push it a little to see if it would wobble. I remember when I did this, I heard this sound behind me. It sounded like something cracking. I turned around, but there was nothing there but the rocks. After a while, I finally figured someone must have carved the things out. For whatever reason, they kind of creeped me out, and it was getting late so I decided to head back to my camp to get some rest. I was tired from the drive, so I set up a fire and decided to get to bed a little early. I couldn't see the rocks from where I was camping, but knew what direction they were in. It was strange. It felt good to be away from them, but I had this uneasy urge to check and see if they were still there. Eventually, I figured I was working myself up. I had never camped along the beach, so thought being out of my element was getting to me. I got a few things ready for the next morning and eventually went to bed in my tent. 
I don't know what time it was, but at some point that night, something woke me up. It was as if I went from a dead sleep to being fully awake and aware. The kind of awareness you are when you're on edge, you know? Like when something's not right. I sat up for a while, listening to what could have woken me up, but didn't hear anything unusual. I stuck my head outside for a bit, but didn't see anything either. The wind had picked up a lot, and the ocean was now pretty noisy, so I figured it might have been that. So I laid back down. I was almost nodding off again when I heard a small sound outside of my tent. I couldn't make out what it was, and didn't want to leave my tent, but decided to go look around to make sure I was in an okay spot. The fire had gone out, so I couldn't see much, but it didn't look like there was anything around my camp. I stood there for a while, trying to find out what could have made the sound, but couldn't see anything. I eventually gave up and began to go back into my tent, but as I was doing this, I heard the sound again. This time, it was clear. It was that cracking sound, the same one I heard down by the rocks. It sounded like it wasn't far from me. I turned my head toward its direction. I remember looking into the darkness trying to figure out if there was anything there. Eventually my eyes started to adjust and I couldn't believe what I saw. It was just a silhouette, but I recognized what it was. It was one of the rocks I had seen earlier. It couldn't have been more than 10 meters from where I was standing. As I stared at it, I began to notice more of them around it. They were the exact same rocks. My stomach began to curl and my heart sank. I couldn't understand what was going on. For a moment, I wondered if someone was playing a trick on me, but no one could have moved those rocks that quickly. I know it sounds crazy, but I suddenly got the feeling that I was in danger. I felt the need to get in my car and leave, so I began gathering my things. While I was doing this, I got the same feeling I did when I had first walked down to the rocks, this feeling that I didn't want to turn my back on them. So I did my best to keep the rocks in view, but eventually something called for me to turn around, and whenever I did, that horrible sound would come again. I can't describe it well, but something about that sound filled me with disgust. It was coming directly from the rocks. I picked up my pace and just started throwing whatever I could into my car. But as I was doing this, the noises became more persistent and louder. Eventually, it got to be too much for me. I decided to leave half my stuff there and just got into my car and turned it on and drove away. To this day, I have no idea what I witnessed there. But something tells me if I had stayed that night, I might not be here to tell this story. The next story is called The Package. (laughs) Waiting, waiting, waiting. I'm so sick of waiting, I said to myself with equal parts frustration and boredom. 
I'd cleared out all my plans for the day just so I could receive a package at my apartment. It wasn't even anything that exciting, just a new jacket I'd bought online. Ordering the package was easy, but waiting for the package was not so easy for me. Whenever I heard the slightest sound resembling a package being delivered, I'd run to the front door and look to see if my package had arrived. I realized this wasn't the healthiest thing to do, to obsessively check for a package. So I sat myself down on the couch, turned on the TV, grabbed my laptop, and did anything I could to distract myself from obsessing over the delivery of my package. To comfort myself, I dangled one of my hands over the side of the couch and let my cat rub itself against my hand. My cat Carlo always knows how to comfort me. Suddenly, an announcement blared on the television. This just in, man on the loose. Unstable man, known as the Fulton City Ripper, has escaped from a mental hospital in Fulton City. The suspect is four foot eight, has shaggy gray hair, and is considered extremely dangerous. Authorities should be alerted immediately if any information concerning the whereabouts of the suspect are known. Fulton City? That's only five minutes from here. Well, Carlo, it's a good thing I ordered this jacket online so I don't have to go out there. This time I felt no rubs on my hand from Carlo. Suddenly I heard a loud noise coming from the far end of the apartment towards the back door. Carlo, always up to no good. I continued surfing the internet. Then I heard another sound. My package! I quickly ran to the door and looked through the blinds, but saw no package. This is torture. I want my package already. I'm sick of waiting. I sulked my way back to the couch and plopped myself down. I know, I'll check the tracking. I grabbed my laptop and looked up the online tracking for my package. Arriving today by 9 p.m. Well, that's no help. It's only 1.13 in the afternoon. Ugh, it's taking forever. As if to reassure me, I felt an affectionate furry rub against my dangling hand. Out of habit, I checked my phone to see if any notifications popped up, but saw nothing. So I went back on my laptop and lost myself once again in the ultimate distraction that is the internet. An unknown amount of time went by when suddenly I realized something. I had to pee really badly. So I ran over to the toilet to relieve myself. While I was peeing, I heard another noise. My package! I was so excited that I stopped midstream and ran to the front door. I looked through the blinds and to my astonishment, there was a package. I opened the door, scooped up the package and quickly closed the door, returning to the safety of my apartment. As I put down the package, however, I realized something wasn't quite right. First of all, the package wasn't sealed properly. The box flaps were open and bobbing freely. Thieves! Someone was tampering with my package. Hope they didn't take anything. But then I noticed there was no shipping label or any markings on the box. It was looking pretty beat up too. Well, I may have to order another jacket. This stinks. Actually, it literally stinks. What smells so bad? I opened up the package and almost fainted at the sight. My beloved cat, Carlo, was in the box, only he'd been ripped to pieces and was now nothing but a heap of blood-soaked clumps of fur and dismembered appendages. Just then, I heard a sound come from near the couch. I looked over and peeking over the couch, 
just barely visible, was a head with wild ash gray hair and a pair of wicked red eyes that seemed to smile at me in the most unsettling way. <laughs> The story's called Bobby's Death Day Bash. (laughs) I don't know, Steve. I just don't think it's a good idea. He's been acting really weird lately, said Barbara. I know he's weird, but he's my brother. He's always been a little, how do I put this, kooky, said Steve. Let's just let him make all the arrangements and run the show. That's what he wants, right? It's less work for us. Lord knows we could use a break from throwing parties, continued Steve as he perused through the sports section of the newspaper. Yeah, that's true. I just want the best for our Bobby. It's his 13th birthday and I want him to have a good time. It might even be the last birthday he wants to spend with us before he becomes too cool to be with his parents, said Barbara, scrolling through the news on her phone. Well, that's impossible. We're the coolest parents of them all. Steve lowered the newspaper and gave Barbara a big smooch on the lips. Just leave it to Tom and we'll finally get to relax during a party for once, said Steve. Well, all right, we can let him do it. Hopefully Bobby will be okay with it. He'll be fine, replied Steve. I just get a weird feeling around Tom sometimes. I know he's your brother, but I get weird vibes from him. I think he's still into me, honestly, said Barbara. Well, we've been married now for what, 14 years? I'd hope by now he'd be over you and have moved on, replied Steve. Yeah, I hope you're right. Barbara's phone began to ring. It's Tom. What are the chances? Should I pick it up? What should I say? Yes, just pick it up and say that we'll let him throw the birthday party. It's fine, replied Steve. Hello? Hello, Barbara. How are you today, my lovely? Oh, hi, Tom. I'm well. And you? Doing splendid. Splendid. So, have you given any thought as to what we discussed? About the party? Yes, as a matter of fact, I just talked it over with Steve, and we're totally fine with you throwing the party. Great, great, Barbara. You won't regret it. I promise. It'll be something you'll never forget. I'm sure I won't, Tom. Okay, I uh, I have to go. It was really nice talking to you, Tom. Let me know if you need any help or anything. The pleasure was all mine, my dear. All mine. <laughs> okay, bye now. Barbara hung up the phone as quickly as she could. She looked at Steve with a regretful look on her face. What? said Steve. Your brother's so weird. I hope this wasn't a mistake. It'll be fine. Just relax. It'll all be okay. A week later, it was the day of Bobby's birthday party. Barbara and Bobby went a little early to the park to meet Tom, while Steve was out running some last-minute party errands for Tom. There were tons of birthday balloons and decorations set up in a picnic spot Tom chose beneath a weeping willow tree. 
It actually looked pretty good. Wow, Tom, this looks really great. I'm impressed, said Barbara. Well, I'd do anything for you, my Barbara, said Tom as he took Barbara's hand and kissed it gently on top. Barbara pulled her hand back as quickly as she could without seeming too rude. And of course, for you too, Bobby. You don't look a day over 13, said Tom. Bobby faked a smile and walked towards the snack table. Well, isn't he a talkative one? Do you know when Steve will be here? It's almost one. I haven't heard from him, and the party's going to start soon. Oh, he should be here soon. I just sent him on a few errands. It shouldn't be long, Tom said, brushing his bushy mustache with his fingers. In fact, I get the feeling he's nearby right this moment. Well, I better make sure everything's good to go. Bye, Barbara. Tom gave a crooked smile as he walked away. Barbara hesitantly lifted her hand to signal a half-wave at Tom. I hope Steve gets here soon. I can't take Tom right now. He's so strange, Barbara said to herself. The clock struck one as most of the guests arrived and the festivities began. It was actually turning into a successful party. People seemed to be having a good time. But Barbara was becoming increasingly worried. There was still no sign of Steve. It was not like Steve to be late for things, especially for something like his son's birthday party. Barbara texted and called Steve, but received no response. Finally, Steve responded to her via text. Sorry, running late. I'm nearby, I'll be there soon. This made Barbara feel a little more at ease, although she still couldn't wait for Steve to show up to tell him how weird his brother's been acting. Sick of standing around, Barbara walked over to the snack table and sampled some of the punch. Tom, this punch is amazing. What brand is it? asked Barbara. Oh, I just can't reveal those kinds of secrets to you, Barbs. But just between you and me, there's a little something special in it. Tom gave a big grin as he walked away. Barbara immediately spit the punch back into her plastic red cup. She was getting a bad feeling about this. Who's ready for cake? Screamed Tom suddenly, holding a giant butcher knife. The children and adults replied with enthusiasm, everyone except for Barbara. Tom began slicing the cake and handing out slices. What kind of cake is that, Tom? It's very red, asked Barbara. It's straw cherry, Barbs. You gotta try it. Tom shoved a spoonful in Barbara's mouth before she could react. It did taste good but there was something different in it, a different flavor that she couldn't quite pin down. Did you make this cake, Tom? Sure did. I've gone back to my roots, Barb. I've been cooking again lately, just like I used to. I'm a brand new man. Barbara gave a half smile. Suddenly, Tom shifted his expression and seemed a little nervous. Now I, uh, I hope this doesn't sound too forward, but how would you like to have lunch sometime? Just you and me. Just like old times. What do you say? Oh, I don't know, Tom. I've 
I've been busy lately, you know, with Bobby getting ready to graduate middle school, and with Steve. We've been more intimate lately. Barbara blushed a little. She didn't mean to divulge such personal information. Come on, just a lunch. Is that so bad? Just to have lunch together? I'm, I'm sorry, Tom. I, I just can't. I'm sorry. Barbara walked away. Tom's grip on the handle of the butcher knife tightened. Throughout their whole conversation, there was a girl right in front of Tom waiting for her slice of cake. Hello. Can I have my slice of cake now, mister? Tom haphazardly dumped a poorly cut slice of cake onto the girl's plate and walked away to his car. Barbara tried calling Steve on her phone, but still no luck. Suddenly, Tom's voice rang out. Who's ready for the pinata? Again, the partygoers cheered. Tom set up the pinata on the tree branch and stood holding the rope and bat. Bobby, why don't you go first, birthday boy? said Tom. Bobby grabbed the bat and smacked the piñata. A lake from the donkey piñata flew off, and as it did, red liquid began to trickle from the lake. Uh, what is that? asked Bobby. Is that all you've got, Bobby? Is that all your dad, Stevie boy, could teach you? Come on, swing like a man. Bobby took an angry swing at the piñata and connected squarely with the body of the donkey bursting the contents free. All of the kids that were eager to grab the candy from the piñata instead were sprayed with a red liquid and red chunks of a mysterious-looking meat. Barbara's jaw dropped. The parents ran up to their kids who were completely covered in red as the kids began to cry. Well, I hope you all enjoyed little Bobby's birthday. Let's see, I hope you enjoyed the Steve Punch, the Steve Cake, and lastly, the Steve Piñata. I guess Steve could make it after all. <laughs> Barbara, Bobby, and the rest of the partygoers screamed and ran away from the bloody scene. It was a complete disaster. Stricken with panic, Barbara called Steve again on her phone. This time, someone picked up. Hi, Barbara. This is Tom. Steve can't come to the phone right now. In fact, he's not looking so good. He's a bit of a mess. Barbara burst into hysterics. It did not take long for the police to arrive. They found Tom on his hands and knees, collecting pieces of Steve that flew out from the piñata. Usually you're the one, Steve, putting me back together. But this time... I'm the one who's trying to keep you together. You're such a mess, Steve. Well, listener, what'd you think? Are you spooked out of your mind or what? What'd you think, Michael? I can't move. I... I was spooked so hard, I can't move. <laughs> well, there you have it. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you at the end of the month for a very special Halloween Spooky Stories episode. See you then, my fellow ghouls. <laughs> <laughs>